Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about the quest for perfect. Yes. Yes. What's the saying? Perfection is the enemy of shipping or perfection is the enemy of good? <laughs> Something like that. Uh-huh. Something like that. We all want to be perfect, don't we? Sure. Why not? Yeah. Perfect sounds better. What could possibly be wrong with being perfect? I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's the, that's the topic for today. How do you, so for me, it's a very specific, it comes down to a very specific thing where I, you know, for myself or my students, it's like, is this ready to ship? Is this service? Is this product? Is this sales page? Is this done? How do I know if this is done or book or speech? It could be anything. Mm-hmm. How do I know when this is done? It's a, it's a tough question, you know, and if you are, you know, super OCD or just a wicked perfectionist or scared to release the thing into the world because of the, the attention that it may bring to you, good or bad, it's hard. Yeah. It, it's interesting the word you use, Jonathan. How do you know if this is done? Hmm. You know, because there are certain things I think that are done, like a blog post or a social media post. You know, you either post it or you don't. But there's things like like your brand and the way you position and market yourself. And I, I could argue, well, they're never really done. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. Cause I don't, that we have two different, two different places we worry about it. It sounds like you and I, so for, I can't even imagine how I would air quotes, perfect my brand. Because like you said, there's not like a release date, you know, the, the thing that scares me with myself and students who are trying to perfect something that they want to launch, which is usually mm-hmm. some kind of, usually it's some kind of product, but not always. It could be just a new, a new positioning on their website. You know, they want to do this, but mm-hmm. they want to get it perfect. I've got dozens of stories of people not wanting to pull the trigger on publishing something because they don't feel like it's perfect or it's not ready or that's what they'll say. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes mm-hmm. the fear isn't that, that, <clears throat> that it isn't perfect. It's that it might work. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that. So, okay. So, so educate me a little bit about people you've worked with or, or maybe it's yourself trying, feeling like a perfection around the idea of branding, which to me is a, a long, long, that's a marathon. It doesn't seem like a, you know, a marathon with no end really. It's like, how would you, how does that manifest itself? Like an over, overabundance of perfectionism. How does that manifest, manifest itself when someone is trying to work on their, say, personal brand or something? Well, maybe, maybe the word I should use is, is the positioning. Okay. Because that's where, at least in, in my work, I experience a lot of waffling, a lot of, um, all of a sudden perfectionism, you know, rears its head because what it means with positioning at some point is you're making a, a public commitment to that position. You, know, you can call it a niche, you know, call it whatever you want, but you're making this public commitment. And what I found is even clients who, I mean, remember, you know, they've come to me and said, I want to do this. So it's not like I'm telling them they must, they've come, we've started a process. And then we get to that point where they have to pull the trigger and, you know, fear rises up. And sometimes I I believe it's fear most of the time. And so then what happens is the way it manifests is, well, I don't know if that's really the right word here. I don't know if that's, is this really the right visuals to, to, you know, reinforce my brand? I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I just have to go think about this 
some more for a while, you know? Yeah. So, and it, yeah, it doesn't happen all the time, but it's, it, there will usually be in any, you know, strategic project where we're looking at branding. Cause you're right. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And it doesn't really end because you're always trying to reinforce. You're just not reinventing it very often, right? You're just reinforcing the positioning that you've already created. Yeah. Refining and refining and refining. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a process. And so I just, I think there comes that fear that it's not perfect, which means if, if my stuff isn't perfect, then I'm not perfect. <laughs> and, right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I have a, a friend named Philip Morgan who helps technical firms specialize and he calls this the positioning fear reflex. And Stephen Pressfield talks about the resistance, it's, mm-hmm. which is a little bit more in a creative space. But I, I think it's really similar. It's kind of like you're putting out this perhaps new identity or feels like a new identity. It feels like a big, big, scary change to people. And they do retreat into that. They can sometimes retreat into that place where they, they you know, oh, I don't know if that blue needs to be a little bluer, or, you know, and <laughs> really they're just procrastinating or putting it off or delaying. In, in many cases, they're just delaying the release because it feels like I, I always, I tell people, I'm like, you're not getting a tattoo on your face. Like this is, this is something you can change. It's just a web page. You know, you can change it. We can fix it. We can, we got to put something out though, so that we can start to get feedback start to see if it's working, see if it's better, see if it's worse. It might be worse, but we need to do something. If you want things to be better, you have to change something. You can't expect things to get better with changing nothing. So let's just experiment. And, and I, I have like almost like an entire module of, of curriculum basically built around ways to de risk the feeling of changing your positioning, which is so silly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not silly because it's real. Like I see it from it, but for me, it's like, it's like, just change the website. If you, you know, and if people hate it, change it again. You know, it's not people that many people are not going to your website all the time. Well, that's, you know, that's the thing, because what you're describing that behavior is where we think we're the center of the universe, right? Because yeah. in our own heads, we are. And really, people aren't really looking at it that much. Yeah. And especially if you look at the website stats, they really, really aren't looking at it that much. Yeah, my, my classic question to people, they'll say like, Oh, but I'm nervous. I'm nervous about, you know, changing the website. And I'll say, well, Okay, how many leads have you gotten through the website in the last month? And they'll be like, I don't know, like one, or none. I'm like, so mm-hmm. it really can't get worse. It's doing, <laughs> it's really doing nothing for you. But there's this, um, this sort of imagination and maybe it's true. It, it is true in very few cases. Somebody does have like a hit article that gets a lot of evergreen traffic or somebody has like some videos or they've got a little piece of their site that gets a decent amount of traffic. And okay, that's a subtle, that's slightly different. We might want to be a little bit careful with that. You know, you might have some SEO juice built up that you don't want to squander if it's related to where you're going and might want to think about it a little bit, a little bit more cautiously, but, but it's way overblown in most people's minds that, that like how much traffic there's like, how many people care about the website? No one cares. You know, like the classic one that I'll get is like, well, if I change my positioning, what's going to happen when my current clients go to my website? I'm like, your current clients aren't going to your website. No, they never go there. Yeah. (laughs) That's what's so funny. I mean, sometimes they don't even read your stuff. 
Right. You know, they're your clients. They're like, oh, I'm getting this straight from the horse's mouth. I don't need to read that stuff. Right. Why would they? I, I've had clients. Yeah. I've had clients that don't even they that are my clients that have never even looked at my pricing page. <laughs> you have a website, <laughs> right? You know. So, yeah. So and that's the thing. So we're, we're sort of focusing on the website, but uh, it could extend to, and I know it does. It extends to people's social media. You know, oh, what about my link? Just fawning over their their LinkedIn profile and like trying to make sure that every last detail is perfect. Like you said, like it needs to be perfect. And another thing that's classic is I need to. It needs to be this big bang. Like I can't release the new website until I've got my. Uh, positioning solidified in my mind and mm. it's updated on LinkedIn and it's updated on Twitter right. and I'm going to, I want to post this article, but I can't because I'm going to be driving traffic because it's the article is about this <laughs> new position, but I can't because it'll drive traffic to the LinkedIn. And then it's like, they just get, they go around in this big circle and they come back to yep. paralysis because yeah everything's not all lined up and perfect and ready to drop all at once. And, you know, if they spent six months and did all of that stuff, then they could get it all aligned, but it would be, it would have been done in secret and might be completely wrong. Like, you know, so I, I'm a big fan of like small, small, quick changes that you can, that you have some way to get feedback on and just, just slow, like stack the bricks, like just do a little thing, do a little thing, do a little thing. And occasionally I'll be like, well, you know, you've got these three to do's for this two week period, do them in this order. It would be slightly better than if you did them in the opposite order, Mm -hmm. but it's really not that big a deal. It's it's the biggest deal to the person who needs to do it. It's a lot less of a big deal to the people that are, that are um, potentially going to see the changes. Well, and I think with social media, you know, it's made it both harder and easier Right. Because I look at social media and say, that's the perfect place. If you have any sort of a following, that's the perfect place to test out ideas. Um, I say perfect, you know, assuming your audience is the right balance for you. You know, mm-hmm. you've got the right audience and you're listening to the right people. But it's an easy way to test things out. And there's you know, no cost to play with social media. Um, and but, it disappears. But, it basically disappears yeah. over time. It kind of goes out yeah. the stream and you're like, oh, no one cared about that, it seems like. So, okay. Especially if it's Twitter. You know, it's it's so ethereal. LinkedIn is, to me, feels a little bit more solid. And, and again, if you're B2B, you're pretty much guaranteed that your contacts are going to be in LinkedIn. Um, they're, they're probably on Twitter, but they may not be paying close attention the way they would in LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, um, having all the social channels, I think, is part of what creates that circle that you described where, oh, I have to do this, but I can't do this until I do this. And then there's this. And, you know, it's this circle. They're chasing their tail. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's just try one thing. You have to start. (laughs) Absolutely. You have to start. Absolutely. You know, this. here's another example. I I don't know if I've mentioned this to you, Jonathan. I have a a friend of mine uh, happened to start a podcast with a co-host right around the same time we started. And we were on, I think, our 25th or 26th episode, and I was chatting with him, and he said I hadn't released any yet. <laughs> I said, you're kidding me, because <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, oh, you've just been doing it once a week. We've got 25. And again, it was two people, so you know, not really any different. And he described the process, and what, what I realized is both of them have – quote unquote names in their respective niches. I think there was so much pressure 
uh, or they put the pressure on themselves about what they were going to produce. And so literally it's, it's only been, um, you know, right around our, I think maybe our 29th episode that, that they finally released the first episode. Wow. Yeah. And I, I'm laughing because if you go back, I, I don't want to, but if we went back to our first couple of episodes, I mean, I'm sure that we would, you know, cringe and go, oh, well, maybe you wouldn't, Jonathan, but it's my first podcast. I would cringe over hearing my voice on it. And, you know, but if we waited for it to be perfect, we'd never get it out. Right. Yeah. This is, this is, I've noticed in myself that I have different levels of perfectionism for different things. So, podcasts and maybe it's just because i've done it for a long time i don't i'm just not as picky like you know i don't know i I feel like it's easier to be pretty good on a podcast than something like say video like i cannot bring myself to do video because i I have (laughs) like a higher degree of perfectionism around video like i want the lighting to be right i want the sound to be right and it's much tougher to get the sound right on video than it is with, with audio because i've got this giant mic in my face it's, it's not as hard. Like there's just way harder mm-hmm. all the way around. And I just can't, you know, and then, and then now ridiculously, I'll turn around and see, uh, like, you know, my wife's, my wife is super into knitting vlogs. Like po- they call it, they all call them podcasts, but they're on YouTube and they will, they're horrible quality wise, but she is glued to them and, <laughs> and, and they're actually, you know, do they look like a TV show? Is the lighting good? Is the sound good? No, but it's good enough. Like you can see the person, you can hear the person. It's mm-hmm. clearly an amateur affair, but you fall in love with the people because they're so real. And, mm-hmm. and I even see this with like yeah. Noah Kagan springs to mind or like Marcus Blankenship. They'll just like take their phone. They're out walking the dog or riding their bike and have an idea and just whip out the phone and do like a quick impromptu video. And when I see something like that, I'm like, it's, it does exactly what I would want video to do for me, which is like, feel connected with the people, like, like kind of let it all hang out. Like this is super authentic. Like this is basically Mm -hmm. me in my life, giving you an idea quickly. And I could wait and hire a camera crew and come to my office and set it up and tell you the same thing, you know, six months from now. But in a, in a weird way, I feel like, well, that's not really fair to the person who needs to hear this information, like my, because of my vanity or whatever, my opinion about how a video should look, if it was going to be professional or be perceived as professional, mm-hmm. it was sort of withheld, it adds zero, adds zero to the message that I would, that occurred to me on my bike. So what's, wh- why don't, why don't I do it? Like, I still, I don't know how to answer for the question. It's just the quest for perfect. Yeah. It's like, but for some reason around that, I have a, I don't know what it is. It's almost like, um, a hang up about, about that particular media where with other stuff, I mean, I released a book, an entire book that I didn't even send to an editor. And I said to people on the list, I said, here, I wrote a book. You can have it for free. Tell me if there are any typos. <laughs> And it was also for sale, but the people on the list were like sort of my first line of defense and a bunch of people, Yeah, it's just, it was just so not perfect, but I was like, I was like, I need to ship this or I'm never going to ship it, mm-hmm. you, you know? Cause then it's like, well, I should find an editor. Who should I find? Ask my friends, Do anybody know a good editor? And like, now make a deal with the editor. How much is that going to cost? Go back and forth, choose an editor, send the thing. Six months go by. Why don't I just send it to a bunch of people who care about this content 
and they can tell me if there are typos or confusing things and I'll just fix them and re-release it. It was ebook, so it wasn't like a print thing. Mm-hmm. And so I have a very, I'm totally cool with that. Very cool with releasing audio or, or text in a sort of non-perfect format where it can grow in, and sort of harden and solidify into a more perfect format or more, I don't want to say perfect. I want to say more effective because I'm trying to get a message across. So it can, it can become more effective with feedback. But now the video thing, I, I can't even, I, I'm listening to myself and I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, why can't you do that with video? I could literally hang up the phone and just pull out YouTube and live, live stream like five minutes yeah. of ideas, no problem. But then yeah. I'd be like, oh, the lighting's terrible and it sounds kind of weird and you can see my arm. And <laughs> you, know, you know what's weird, Jonathan, is I had no trouble doing video, but the idea of doing a podcast, you know, without you, it was like the podcast for me was just overwhelming because wow. of the production side of it. Mm-hmm. I was like, no. But the video to me is, I mean, I've got it figured out now how to do it, but it, you know, nobody's going to mistake it for, oh, this is a slick professional job. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a homemade piece, but right. it's, it's good enough, right? Sound mm-hmm. is good. The lighting's okay. And the message is, is what matters. Now that doesn't mean that production values don't matter. I mean, I think they do. I think it just depends on, uh, you know, what the message is, who your clients are. I mean, if your clients are, you know, fortune 500 C-suite, then probably, you know, a little video while you're running isn't going to do it on a regular basis, but sandwiched in between some other things, it would make you, you know, amazingly human and down to earth. And a a fortune 500 C-suite person might really like that. So it's, you know, it's all about your audience too. Mm -hmm. Who are you trying to reach? Who are your people? Right. I also, okay. So while we were talking, it just occurred to me that I think there might be a difference in my mind between video that is sort of blog-like, uh, sorry, yeah, blog-like or podcast-like yeah. or vlog-like where, you know, it's this short free thing on YouTube that you do every day or every week and, hey, it's a sort of a get-to-know-you thing or whatever, you know, useful information, but it's very authentic and not polished versus like, like I wouldn't be super happy if I paid like 800 bucks for a, a course on Udemy and all the videos were like, handheld selfie headshots, uh, you know, like, like <laughs> I mean, like, eh, I don't know. I think I was expecting something a little more pro. And in, mm-hmm. in fact, I have a student who sells, I have a, a several developer students who have training courses and one of them, I mean, honestly, it's, it's to the point where it's a differentiator. One of them does a really pro job with the videos, like multi-camera setup, uh, it, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, writes a full script first, edits it down. Like they'll take, it's two guys. They'll take like, you know, when they, when I met them, they were spending an entire week on one video mm-hmm. for like a five minute yep. video. Yep. And like, that is mind blowing to me that little, like, you know, I'll record a, po- a solo podcast episode. I'll record in five minutes and have it uploaded 10 minutes later. You know, it's like, it's almost real time. Mm-hmm. So the idea of investing a week into a video, but it's paid and it's expensive. They're expensive too. So I sort, I definitely, uh, I see the value of it, but yeah. How do you know when you're done? Like, what does it, what does it depend on for you? Do you think like between, let's pick a book, for example. So did, did my story about releasing a book warts and all like make you cringe or 
Do you, do you get, for do me you, personally, yeah, I would have a, I would have a hard time with that. I don't want to have a hard time with that, but I, when you were saying it, I was feeling like you were about the video. <laughs> like <laughs> no, no, and you know, for me, you know, it's it's about the writing. For me, it's like a typo just makes me crazy. So I'm, and and it's not that if I did one without an editor that there wouldn't. I know there would be m- probably more than one typo that I missed. But yeah, yeah, it did make me cringe. <laughs> <laughs> I have some work to do in this area. <laughs> yeah. So, there, uh, Amy Hoy. I don't know if you know her name, but she's pretty well known in no. my circles. And she she has a a business doing teaching people how to create like info products and products and that sort of thing. And she's, ah. she, she is, you think I'm pragmatic and tough lovey. She's like, she is like the top of the heap when it comes to tough love. And she released a book called just, you know, effing ship. <laughs> and, love that title. Yeah. And she wrote the book in 24 hours. So, and, and it's, it, it's good and it's, it's not super short, you know, and she did, mm-hmm. it was like, a, she, she said, okay, I'm going to write this book about just shipping and I'm going to do it. She went through and she, I think it actually took her 25 hours from when she started to when it was available for sale. And she punted on a couple of things, but it was still fine. You could still buy the book. You could still read the book. You could still get things out of the book. And, and it wasn't like, you know, full of typos. And, you know, she'd been teaching this stuff for a long time. So I'm sure she had a lot of, I'm sure it was, you know, it wasn't like she was struggling knowing what to say. She knew what she wanted to right. say. Right. So she just blasted it out like Jack Kerouac style. Like, here we go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then she did, and she released it at a particular price. And, you know, she eventually did a revision to it, of course. But the, you know, sort of dog fooding exercise of, uh, of, hey, just get this out there and get feedback on it. And, and it's really good. It's one of the, it's one of those books that I have on my, on my, uh, you know, I've got a reading list of like uh, top 10 books that, that sort of, you know, people like us should read and mm-hmm. it's on there, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's nice and short and it's important to, to, to put things out in the world. I mean, like, and not yeah. overthink it. And I do think, I think there is a, there's a reverse. There's a, there's an other end of the spectrum, but I find most people, uh, skew toward either perfectionism or using perfectionism as an excuse to hide. Mm-hmm. And, and, but right. there are, I do, you know, maybe, a you know, that's the 80, maybe it's 80, 20 rule. 80% of people are afraid to ship and don't want to, and want to just need one more thing and then it'll be perfect. And then there's maybe 10 or 20% that just put any kind of garbage out there and just be like, Oh, this is good enough. You know, yeah, and those aren't the people we're talking about. Yeah, those aren't the those aren't the people who give me money to work with me. Like, they're, those, yeah, those people are just putting garbage out. So, and I don't think they're listening to this podcast right, either. Right? Yeah, they don't need they don't need uh, help. They don't need this advice <laughs> <laughs> in this way. They different kind of help. Right. So there, I'm not. I'm not. I don't think either one of us. Neither, I know neither one of us is saying like, oh, just put garbage out. No. But no. there's at a certain point you need to recognize when. You're being ridiculous. And if you are, if you have an easy way is to give it to a few, give the the thing that you're working on, show it to a few people that you trust and that get you Mm -hmm. and say, what do you think about this? Here, I made this thing. What do you think? And if people are like, I don't get it or "Eh, I don't know, you know, but probably, probably that's not what's going to happen. Probably people are going to be like, this is really good. 
I think this is really cool. I think people will like this. I think these kinds of people will like this because you're mm-hmm. usually a harsher critic on yourself than someone from the outside. Right. And, you know, but I, re- I recognize that we can say this all day long and still like when I released my last book, I was like, oh, this thing stinks. This is so bad. <laughs> uh, I don't, you know, and I procrastinated for like three months to write, like the book was done and I just needed to write the introduction three months later. I still hadn't written it. <gasps> Oh, that's a classic. Oh yeah, huh? right. And yeah. Like, oh, I got it. I haven't found the time, so it slipped. I slipped an entire quarter because I hadn't written the introduction. Yeah. Finally, went to a coffee shop, banged it out in one morning. Was really happy with it, and press publish. And Boom. but it's still, I was like, oh no, because I had changed. Now at this point, I had changed so much since I originally wrote it that I kind of wanted to revise it. But I was like, I kept saying to myself, no, resist. I'll, yeah. <laughs> I kept saying to myself, even though maybe I would change some words here and there, or maybe I would add or remove a section, this is still very valuable. There's tons of good information in here. And if I withhold it from them by fiddling with it, it's, it's not going to help anybody. It's, that is purely me being like, I'm afraid to release this. So I put it out. And the, let me tell you that first feedback I got was someone was like, this was amazing. This was life changing. I was like, Oh, thank God. <laughs> Cause I'm so sick of it. Right. It's stuff I talk about all the time now. I'm like, this is yeah. so obvious. Everybody knows this already. Well, and I like the, the frame of reference that you used. I mean, it's, this is about, you know, everything that we do as consultants, as professionals in this kind of work, it is about serving a particular audience and you got to look at it from their perspective. Will this help them? Right. Will this make them better than they were yesterday? And if the answer is yes, I, I do. I think it's you owe it to them and to yourself because, you know, that's what we're here for, to be used. I mean, mm. you know, I use that word in quotes. Yeah. Um, but for, for our brilliance, quote unquote, to be used. Mm-hmm. And if you keep it bottled up inside, it, it's doing no value to anybody, including right. yourself. Right. You know, I read, I, I hope this is true. I, I read somewhere that um, Stephen King, after he wrote Carrie, threw the manuscript in the trash. I read that too. I don't know and if it was Carrie, wife, but. Yeah, his I, his wife fished it out and, and gave it to the publisher. But I, I mean, if Stephen King can have doubts, it's mm. no surprise that the rest of us do. Mm. But we just have to work through them and carry on anyway. Yep. So here's a funny thing that just occurred to me. I I think, I don't think this is the same thing as imposter syndrome. I know it's not for me. Mm -hmm. It's different. Yeah, it's different because I don't, I have imposter syndrome. Like I know I don't, you know, (laughs) it's like I I have so much feedback about, uh, you know, particular areas of, you know, particular things I'm good at. Um, you know, I'm going to be 50 this year. I've got a lot of feedback. It's not that this is, this is very like specific. This is like all about pressing publish. Like this is all about that moment, whether it's a video or a book or a podcast episode or whatever. For me, it's all about pressing publish and being like, this piece isn't ready. And I used to be a songwriter. I mean, that was like, that's what I went to school for. So I know what that feels like from, yeah. from way back. Like this song's going to bomb. I loved it, but now I'm playing it and I see the looks on the people's faces. It's not that great. And so maybe it, maybe that has given me a thick skin, but, uh, I think it's different than imposter syndrome. It's, it's like, I think it can happen even if you feel like you've gotten to, 
that point, like a point where you feel like you're confident in your skills, but okay, here's this particular instantiation of my expertise. And I don't know what's going to happen when I send this or publish it or release it or whatever. Well, I, I like the press publish. I mean, in my head, I can see this big red button and, you know, do I press it? Do I not? I think there's another place that I see where the, the quest perfect uh, quest for perfection kind of drops off. And that's where uh, it's it, a lot of times it's when you're going to pivot. So you've been a successful, you know, fill in the blank. Hmm. And then you decide that you want to maybe narrow your special specialization a little bit, or you want to pivot like you've done a couple of times. I've done it a, a few times. And it's that in the moment of the pivot, that's where I find people get stuck. They they want to pivot. They know what it is, right? Mm-hmm. But then, and they even have a plan. I'm gonna write this many blog posts. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do one every week or every other week. I'm gonna work on the book. The book is gonna be called this. And they just they start they they start all happy and then they get into it maybe halfway, <laughs> and it's boom. It's not imposter syndrome. It's yeah. oh, this is crap. Yep. This isn't good enough. Yeah. Where do I go with this? And, you know, in some ways, I don't want to say it's harder, but it, it's I think it feels murkier for people when they're in the midst of that. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like textbook case of the resistance, like Stephen Pressfield's mm-hmm. like monster in your head that. And so I, I actually like I've gotten it doesn't make the fear go away. Like Seth Godin says, dance with the fear. It's not you're not going to you're not going to beat the fear. I mean, you're not going to remove it. You're not going to take it out of your brain, but use it like a compass. So like if you are onto something that is, that is part of your brain is making you scared, like, like, oh, this is a bad idea. Don't do this. This people are going to hate this or whatever. It's, I don't know. It's hard to describe, but I can tell when it's happening. And I'm like, I'm onto something. Like if I get an adrenaline Mm -hmm. rush when I press publish, like I, maybe it's from experience. I've pressed published so many times that I can tell which stuff is just kind of like, you know, a, a double and, so, and some things are grand slam. But <laughs> when I, when I get that rush of fear, it's like a, it's, it's fear and exhilaration and excitement all wrapped up in one. Yeah. And yeah. I'll get like tingles almost. I'm like that, mm-hmm. that I don't even, I don't even want to say good. I'm going to say that is, this is super pompous, but this was an important blog post. This was important. Right. And not to me, but like, this is going to be super valuable. Like, I don't know. I can just, just feel it. And mm-hmm. it's, it's the release of that fear. I think where, where like it's coming at you and you're like, it doesn't mean, it doesn't just because you're getting the fear doesn't mean your stuff's good, but I do think it means you're digging in the right direction. Like you're, you're headed in the right direction. If you, if that, if you use that, like, Oh, this is a little scary as Ooh. a compass. <laughs> and then you hit the button. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a client that just did uh, his first uh, speech on this new topic for him. And, you know, we were having it videotaped and, you know, he was nervous like anybody would be. But this is someone he knows his stuff backwards and forwards. And he's, you know, telling stories. And he was it was like he was on fire. (laughs) He was so good. And I love that, you know, we had the camera so we could capture it and then playing it back for him so he could see how good it was. Mm. And, you know, and he the way he described, you know, 
getting up in front of the audience was kind of what you just talked about is that feeling and it, you know, it suffuses in your body and it's, it's this energy. And, you know, of course, when you're done with something like that, you're like, Oh my God, you know, you've been working at it for <laughs> weeks or months, but it's, it's really powerful. And I think that's, that's the personal side of this. Not only when, you, when any of us do something like this, are we pushing something out in the world that needs to get out there? You know, we're birthing that baby, right. but, but you're, you're, there's a something that happens to you when you do that. Like every time you press publish, whether it's you know that big speech or a little tiny blog post that feels significant, you are moving yourself forward. Even if you get all kinds of criticism on it, you are moving yourself and your ideas forward. And that's what it takes to be an authority. Mm. Yeah. And, and you're going to step, you're going to screw up. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. We hate that. I mean, we all hate that. Let's face it. None of us likes falling down or looking like a fool. But we learn from it and we get better. Right. There's no way around it. Like, yeah. again, with music performance background, you can practice all day long in your room. Like, you can have the sweetest moves in front of your mirror, at, you know, and like shred on the guitar. But as soon as you put an audience in front of that person, it's a different game. It's mm -hmm. completely different. And, you know, knowing how to screw up in front of people and recover is like, <laughs> it's like part of it. Like that, like learning how to mess up like a pro yeah. is, there's only one way to learn it. And that's like, do it a lot. Yeah. And it's, it's almost easier when you have the little things like, you know, we've all press publish on a blog post and then somebody comes back and says, Oh my God, you said that. Did you realize it really meant this? And, you know, and that's, e that's easy to recover from. And then, and the next time you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. I mean, nobody died. Right. right? We're not brain surgeons in the operating room. Nobody dies. Yeah. We learn and we go and do the next one. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're on my list. You know, I just did this. I totally, totally put my foot in my mouth and what, and there's no undo on an email list. So it's like, oh, mm. well, that's out there now. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apologize. Move on. Now I know, you know, and not only do now I know, but now probably, you know, it was a, it was a cultural thing between the U S and other English speaking, speaking countries. I just used a bad word. That's not bad in the U S and, uh, and a bunch of people let me know. And now a whole bunch of, you know, maybe a few thousand Americans now know, because I was like, mm -hmm. whoops, hey, everybody, guess what? Yep. <laughs> oh, I, I did this thing on, on Twitter, and I, I did a bad thing. And Twitter penalized me by unfollowing everybody that I followed. <laughs> and so my followers went into this like free fall and I was just watching it happen electronically, sort of like watching a stock, the stock price fall. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. And so I published a, an apology and and I, I felt terrible. And I wound up losing, I don't know, 10,000 followers when all was said and done. And I thought, you know, that was a good lesson for me. Mm. And then, um, but what happened, the upside, besides the fact that I will never do that again, is that I really bonded with some of the people. Yep. Because I put up the apology, the people who stuck with me, I had, I don't know, maybe a dozen or two reached out. And I got to know them better. And it's, I know who they are now, whereas before, you know, on Twitter, they can be a little bit anonymous. Right. So, you know, it had an upside. It always has an upside. Hmm. Yeah. And none of that would have happened if you just, you know, it's like you just have yeah. to put yourself out there. You just have to. Mm -hmm. If you're going to if this if you want to be an authority, like, you no one's trying to be an authority or an expert in their own mind, like for themselves. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, some people do. <laughs> well, even I think even those people, those see those people are you know those are civil war reenactors and people that go to uh, you know oh, like meetups that's a good and they still like you don't I I have, yeah. I mean, it would be impossible for me to know if, if, if there exist people who are experts at like Velter Creole and, and just for themselves. And they just have like a bunch of writing that they read, like a private diary. Cause you, by definition, no one would know, but it seems far fetched to imagine someone who is really, really into whatever thing, whatever the thing is and, and not share it with somebody. I mean, maybe they somebody. don't want to go out and have yeah. a career based on it, but, but how could you not like i can't gonna even find their tribe right like i yeah. can't even force myself to practice guitar anymore unless people are watching like to, <laughs> to me i just i'm so bored it's so boring because the fun part is not it used to be the physical mastery of playing scale you know i used to play scales like 12 hours a day it was like fun it felt fun you could feel yourself getting better but at a certain point you're like what am i practicing all these scales for i want to make people dance or cry or or mm -hmm. laugh or do i want to make mm -hmm. people do something i want to have like an experience happen here and all of a sudden or not all of a sudden but over time it became clear that you know just the physical mastery of like sitting on my bed and like you know playing uh whatever a mixolydian scale from the pinky at 220 beats a minute <laughs> it's like you, you know so what right so you know it's yeah. hard to imagine someone who's who's passionate about something and doesn't want to share with other people. Well, if you watch some of the reality shows like American Idol, um, America's Got Talent, um, sometimes they will have people who basically, you know, they've, they've done some YouTube um, videos of themselves playing or singing or whatever their talent is, mm -hmm. but they've never performed in front of an audience. Yeah, that's wild. That's and a new thing. On, yeah. And then they get on the show and they have a live audience there. And of course, you know, Theoretically, millions of other people are watching and it's fascinating watching them. And some of those folks drop off really fast mm -hmm. and some of them just ride the wave. Yeah, that is wild. That is a very new thing. Like you couldn't, well, going down maybe yeah. a rabbit hole here, but, <laughs> but it's, it's it, to, to bring it back though, they're putting it out there, even though they're not physically in the same room with an audience, they're like putting something out there and the, you can, obviously everyone knows you can get feedback on YouTube. So they can get better at what they do. They can put it out there and they can, they can iterate, you know, they can, there's a feedback loop happening, even if they're staring into a camera in their dorm room. Right. But what changes, I mean, bringing this back to authorities and experts, what changes though, when your ideas percolate, cause it's not just for us, it's not about a performance that people get to rate unless I guess, unless it's a speech perhaps mm. or a book, but it's, it's really about the ideas and how those ideas help to change the lives of the people in our audience. And if those ideas don't get aired in multiple ways, I mean, it's not just putting them out in books and blog posts, but it's talking about them, having other people talking about them, getting a group together, a tribe. I mean, that's, that's where, your ideas can really take flight when they when they get buried in somebody else. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. so, so perfect doesn't help. Yeah, perfect doesn't <laughs> help. I mean, not to mention the fact there's no such thing. Like, how would you even know if it was perfect? At some point, yeah. you just have to pull the trigger. Yeah. So. Oh, you know, that's a really good point because perfect is in the eye of the beholder. I could think something's perfect and you could look at it and go, are you kidding me? Uh-uh. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah every musician knows that one cold because it, it, like musicians are like my latest song is the best one ever it's because it's still <laughs> fresh and new and it's different right and then you put it out there and people are like eh, i don't know it's okay <laughs> <laughs> uh. yeah it's i mean it's hard it's hard to put your work out there mm-hmm. but you have to if you want it to get better i think that's the maybe that's the moral of the story is like you have to put it out there if you want it to get better you do and and you owe it to your audience Never mind yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, but you owe it to your audience. If that makes it easier for you to feel that you're serving someone else by being scared to press publish, it's okay. Yep. Cool. Seems yeah. like a good place to leave it. I think so. I think so. I'm going to go spend the rest of the day being not perfect. Yeah, I'm going to go record a bunch of YouTube selfie videos. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to see them. And then delete them all. Uh, all right folks that's it for this week i'm jonathan stark and i'm michelle moulton and we hope you join us again next time for the business of authority bye Bye bye-bye